this is a research project uh, and I have research teams at, at three universities in Sweden looking into how can we create a model for storytelling that will speed up the transition to climate neutral future? So w- what kind of method do that look like? And when we've been looking around the world, we haven't found a single method to do that. So the idea is basically a toolkit where we merge research from human behavior research or psychology, but also from literature and arts. How do we tell stories? And then let's use this toolkit to create some campaign to see, can this move the needle faster? Can we get more engagement than we've done in previous projects? Hello, I'm Denise Withers, and you're listening to Forward, an interview series where today's leaders reveal how they use stories to make change and shape the future. If you need a new way to move forward towards your goals, then stay tuned, because I have just the story for you. Today's guest has possibly the coolest job in the world. A well-known journalist and author in Sweden, Per Gronkvist is also the chief storyteller of the Viable Cities program there. His job is to help us transition to a carbon-neutral world faster with stories. As a sustainability and civic engagement expert, he has a knack for making complex, abstract concepts like climate change understandable and actionable. Per has written several acclaimed books, essays, and news stories, appeared frequently on national television and radio, and made keynote presentations for global brands that include DHL, Coca-Cola, NASDAQ, and Staples. I'm fascinated by his work and can't wait to learn about how he's leading change with stories. So welcome, Per. Thank you. Nice to be here. Per, you know, the world has struggled to engage people in action on climate change across sectors for decades. So can you tell us what's the big idea driving your work as chief storyteller at Viable Cities? That's a great question. I think that one of the things that we have to take into consideration is I think we've been overselling the future. We've been selling that whenever we transcend into this uh, utopia, this uh, climate neutral, it seems like everyone's going to be happy and everything's going to change at the same time. So if I tell you that we have to live a climate neutral life, what might spring to mind is that I will take your car away and your burger away and you, you can never go to Hawaii again. And so it feels like a way that I try to compromise your life rather than to enhance it. So what the big idea that we're having is that we should try to work much more with sort of near future scenarios and and sort of sense making. And so we will describe what will change in your life, but we will also describe how that will affect your everyday life. Things will get better and something will remain the same. You will still be able to have a fat, greasy, juicy burger, but it may not be made out of animals, for example. You will still be able to smoke. You will still be able to drink wine and and get sometimes too drunk on Fridays. You will still have kids who are quarreling in the back of your car, although that vehicle will be electric. So it's sort of Whenever we oversell the future, we tend to forget about the audience who have no knowledge of these reports and the visions and the fantasies that we cook up. And so that's why I think we have to sort of understand how we tell stories and frankly, how we've always been telling stories and start doing that rather than sort of falling into the trap of doing advertisement for the future. 
That's really interesting. And I want to pick up on something you said there, which is the disconnect between the audience that really doesn't understand that much about what the, what we're facing in terms of climate change and the future that we've been selling. And it's fascinating to me because what I keep hearing is we need to sell these big ideas. We need to have radical change right now. And I think what you're saying is that the messaging around that hasn't been working. No, it's been too much selling and too less of storytelling, I think, uh, because everybody hates advertising. Even people who work in advertising hates advertising. They have ad blockers all over their computers. But what we are now, we can see it especially in terms of Gen Z and millennials. Everybody hates advertising, but everybody loves brands. So if brands tells a good story, you're, you will listen to them. And if so, you have to try to convince someone that has to start with a story. I mean, since the dawn of mankind, the way we communicate things is through stories. We relate something, an experience we've encountered and, and maybe a lesson learned along the way. And that way I can convey something to you much in the same way, like uh, bees in a beehive, they dance in order to under, to help the other bees understand where they got all the, the nice pollen from. Uh, and so that sort of very human basic interaction of telling stories in order to convey something is forgotten when we start to sell things uh, because then you get those sort of the, the powerpoints and the bullet points and all those fancy drawings from the future here's what the sidewalk will look like in the future version of toronto or wherever and if i'm not familiar with toronto or if i'm not familiar with the flying cars or the thin white people that seem to occupy every space in the future then that future will not seem something I want to be a part of, but rather rather, rather frightening because maybe some of the stuff that I do relate to, like having a coffee um, or having a smoke or uh, having friends that are of other colors and races than white, they are literally not in the picture. And so that future is it's actually not inclusive and it's rather sort of exclusive to the people who are occupying that base of envisioning our future so that's 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 also an aspect of sort of public engagement and public involvement in here that we're trying to do within the bible cities program right and so making it possible for people to actually see themselves in the future that we need to create yeah and and, and maybe also saying that oh whoa, whoa, whoa i i get where you want to go and that's not my future at all and so if you're too far off there will never be a discussion you can't be engaged in something that you feel completely detached from but if there's some part of that story of that vision i have from the of the city of the future that you relate to then will spark a conversation so what you're because you're talking about engagement you're talking about a dynamic two-way process of communication which is contrary again to a lot of what i think we've seen and heard which is people simply telling other people this is how it needs to be and it sounds like that's not aligned with your goals at bible city no, not at all. The way we tell stories is to engage them in something. And then we have to, to think long and hard about how could we make sure that other people's voices are heard or to start with that we listen to them, but not that kind of stupid listen or buzzword listen that you hear a lot about in, in city planning projects. We need to listen to, to citizens. No, we don't. We need to tell them something first and then they can listen and react to them and then we listen back. 
if I'm as a politician or someone working in government says that I want to hear all your ideas, well, that's not useful to anyone. Let's give them something based on facts and figures and an idea. Here's where I, we think we will be going. It's more of a hypothesis or, the, or a sort of a beta version. And then people can get feedback, say, no, I need that, or I'm missing this, or this sounds perfect. And it's not about sort of opening up saying everybody can call me or everybody can text us or whatever. It's about sort of, here's what I think. What do you think about it? Perfect. And so what kinds of storytelling are, are you looking at doing? What, what will storytelling look like? Are you making feature films? Are you doing social media? How will it roll out? So this is one of Sweden's 17 strategic innovation programs in order to make Sweden a better place, basically, but also something that the rest of the EU and the world can learn from. That's always been a part of the Swedish DNA, especially part of the modern Swedish DNA, because we are slightly full of ourselves. So we think we are better than everyone else and you should do whatever we're doing. But uh, never mind. <laughs> I think that's a part of it. But that's a sh- idea of sharing is very, very important. And so what we're trying to do here is, if, is develop a method, because this is a research project. Uh, and I have research teams at uh, three universities in Sweden. And those scientists and researchers, they are looking into... How can we create a model for storytelling that will enhance people's understanding of the future, that will speed up the transition to a climate neutral future? So what kind of method do that look like? And when we've been looking around the world and checking with colleagues all over the place, we haven't found a single method to do that. And that method is basically a toolkit or an idea where we merge research from human behavior research or psychology but also from literature and arts how do we tell stories so the idea is that this should go into this toolkit that you will use that could be also described as some kind of checkbox and then there are nine cities all over sweden of different sizes that are involved we will then hand over that toolkit to them or we will do pilot tests where they will use that toolkit in order to help their uh, citizens understand and engage more about the future. Since we are not an advertising agency, we do not say that you should do this or that. We will be part of those pilot tests. We will do all kinds of stuff. So then they might decide that depending on that, we should try to reach this target audience in order to change their behaviors. Then you might use film or you might use advertising in newspapers or you might do events or whatever. We're sort of channel agnostic in that sense. And then the city planners or the city communicators and and whoever works on those projects will use those toolkits to see, can this move the needle faster? Can we speed up the transition to a climate neutral city? Can we get more engagement in it rather uh, than we've done in previous projects? And but the best thing is that to, to come back to what I started with here is that all our toolkits will be available open source and in English. So we do have a blog on Medium where we share our thoughts and share our betas. And, uh, and so if you're listening to this and saying, oh, this is something I want to be inspired by, don't be inspired. You can actually go and steal it in the future. That's fantastic. It, it, it's so encouraging to me to see you doing this because in the, in the last year or so, I've been thinking, why isn't somebody like the UN, why don't we have a center for storytelling on climate change? Why aren't we mobilizing stories at a more global level? So I love the fact that Sweden is taking the lead on this. So looking at how it's going to roll out, I know you're still in the planning stages. Can you give us some examples of what kinds of activities might be in the toolkit or activities that you've used in the past to do similar work? 
I think you, we have to draw on the experience of storytelling and storytelling's roles in society in general. And I think there are good examples and there are bad examples. The thesis that our innovation program is built on is basically the same thesis that now is rolled out throughout EU when it comes to innovation program. It's based on, on professor and economist Mariana Masocato's theories of mission-driven innovation which is then in part based on the, the man on the moon project that NASA did in the 1960s. So John F. Kennedy said we should put a man on the moon, and he had actually no idea whatsoever on how that could be achieved. No one else had it either. But they were having a very clear vision on what should be achieved. So our mission is to put the man on the moon and return him safely to the Earth. Okay, that's where we're starting. Let's see how we can do that. So our mission is very much sort of how can we make climate-neutral cities? So this is using the mission-driven approach that's now also been rolled out through the EU's new strategic innovation program that comes out next year with a budget of something around uh, 100 million euros or if it's a thousand million euros, I can't um, really, um, if it, or if it's billions, it's a lot and lots of zeros because this is the EU's big strategic program anyway. And that's based around that mission. So what we want to do here is that we will do uh, the toolkit that will allow you to, based on this grand mission, you can then break it down to a city level. So given the fact, here's what we need to do. Here's what it needs to feel like on a global level and then on a local level. Then you can point in, so the city of Malmö, for example, in southern part of Sweden, how does their target fit into this? Uh, And then they can start working towards it and then also taking into account the the 17 sustainable goals and all these sort of sub-goals in part of that. And so it will allow them to say, okay, here's one of the issues we need to tackle. Let's do a project on how we can move the needle faster. And then let's use this toolkit in order to create some kind of campaign that will allow people to move faster. So a, a part of that could be what the first... Uh, thing we've done so far is called the, the declaration and that's a declaration where all the cities have sort of talked and, and worked together on finding a, a common view of the future and as chief storyteller i put that into words that you can actually feel rather than just read whenever we talk about declaration we often think about this is something i need to sign this is something that you want to sign on to in a in a more sort of uh literal sense so people say okay i can agree with that so how could we do that story so that's one of the the first tools that we will be putting out so here's a vision of the future that you can download that is relatable to to everyday citizens in in swedish cities and on in the world probably and it says something about where we're going where we need to be going and how that will feel and it's all based on on data and science and lots of hyperlinks to all kinds of, of scientific sources. But the text isn't scientific. It's much more as a human touch. It acknowledges the fact that we understand important things through our heart before it reaches the brain. That's fantastic. So then how do you take that declaration and start to break it down into the smaller everyday stories that you want people to create and share themselves so that you've got storytelling happening within families, within workplaces, within communities? I think what we try to is given that we can sign on to a declaration, okay, here's what we need to do. What should be a first step? Let's try to translate that big stories into what will that feel like in our community in the smallest form? How will that affect us as a family or us as a neighborhood 
or as a part of the city. And then you try to workshop your way to, okay, this will actually mean that this has to change or that has to change. And then you have to work to see with facts to see what what kind of changes in, in everyday life do we need to do do we have to do in order to reach our goals and then you will probably fit into something like the car because the car often comes up in these discuss- discussions and say oh but we don't we need to give up our car okay that sounds like a big thing but do we need to give up our car is that the thing or are we actually afraid of that we won't be able to get around as much as we are used to by car and then that fear then turns into uh, an underlying need of being able to move freely. It's, a, it's actually the question of freedom. And then you have to re- re- sort of discover or, or redefine freedom in a way that fee- people feel that, okay, I'm still able to, to move around freely, but I actually don't have to own the car that, stood, that stands still for 95% of the time. I can actually be part of a carpool or actually, I can actually be related to, to understand that there's a public transport going in the next block or so that I haven't used before. So what are the hurdles to get people to do that? And those hurdles are often connected to the deep human feelings, and then we have to address those. We cannot just say, people, oh, there's a bus going over there. Yeah, but what do I feel about the bus? The emotion we feel about public transport varies differently across groups. So let's look at this group. What kind of fears do they have on this? What kind of hopes do the bus fulfill them? For example, if, for as a, as a man, I don't think that public transport has ever posed a threat towards me. But as a woman, you probably felt insecure riding on a bus or a train late at night sometimes that I haven't. So there's a lot of sort of psychology and, and deep human needs and, and behaviors that needs to be addressed. And then when you understand them, then you can start tell a story about how is this happening? Uh, what kind of, of story do we need to tell? And then we go back to literature and arts and look at sort of how stories are structured. And basically there's one major structure that is in movies and in theaters and in books, and it's called the hero's journey. And it's, I think it's was sort of the term was coined in I think the last century or even in the nineteenth century, uh, and it's basically that every story starts out with the hero and that hero is trying to accomplish something and he leaves his secure home and and embarks on a journey and then he encounters some kind of hinders along the way and he can't get around that it could be a rock it could be someone who um, makes sure that he doesn't get into the right university or he doesn't get whatever it might be. And then there's always someone who helps him overcome that hurdle. And then he finds a new way, and then eventually he returns home. And based on if this is a tragedy or it's a comedy, it's either a, a feast or it's uh, a funeral. That's basically how all movies and, and, and books and um, theaters are sort of structured around us that same. So how can we use that? How could we find a local hero that embodies this journey? Uh, and so that will be the next step in how you develop a story. And and in, in best of cases, you find that story because then you know what to look for. And then that story is not only fact-based, but it's also true uh, and feels authentic. And so what you're really doing is you're helping people understand their existing stories, the stories they're telling themselves about everything from public transit to the way they eat, and then using that to help them move into and create a new story. And the thing that really strikes me that I think I hear going on here is that 
you're actually using that hero's journey as a design journey to design the new future and design the new story of the future. So you're not just telling stories, you're designing life as a new story. Yeah, that's that's very true. We're much more in sort of storytelling. I might have that cool title, as you suggested, being the chief storyteller and all, but the thing is that it's not me who tells story because... There's only one Pag Ronquist, and that sort of model scales really badly. So you have to get other people use a tool in order to design their own stories for the future. And also, frankly, to think about, do we have compelling stories? Maybe we have, but some stories are not linked to reality. Uh, we, we did one pre-study outside of the uh, northern city of Umeå in Sweden, and we were looking at, should we do a pilot study here in order to get white middle-aged men to abandon one of their two cars? This is a an, an rural area outside Umeå, in order to go on public transport more. Sounds like a fantastic plan. And then when we started looking into it, we looked, at, of course, the sort of, so if this guy abandons one of his cars uh, and tried to go public transport, where's the nearest bus stop? And that was like 20 minutes walk away. <laughs> and so you don't have the necessary structures in place in order to convince him. And so you can tell the best story in the world, but it's completely not relating to his problem and, and his reality. And then everything falls apart. Then it's just a story or maybe a fairy tale even. So it has to have that balance. And, and what's striking with our project that also gained a lot of international attention, I think, is the fact that we as a government-funded state innovation strategic program, blah, 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 we say that science and facts are really important, but storytelling is equally important. It's not more and it's not less, but it's equally important to get people to change. And too often when you see these innovation programs or government-funded programs or kind of information campaigns that the city does, there seems to be an over reliance on telling people, giving people innovation, whereas in fact, if you look through history, facts are basically overrated <laughs> if you want to convey someone. <laughs> because if, if facts were as rated as we think they are, then we would just be communicating through PowerPoints, I think. Right. And that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about is how did that decision happen? That's a very bold, courageous decision to commit to storytelling like that. So how did that come about? I think that's uh, a question really for our project director. She's a visionary and she thinks in strange ways. Uh, that's why you love her as a human being and as a boss, because she's she's crazy in, in, in the best sense. She seems to have this instinct to sort of look around the next corner all the time. Uh, and so it was basically her and, and someone else who said that, if stories are important, then we need to master the craft of storytelling. And so they went on a hunt for a storyteller and they found me. And then they convinced everybody else that it's a good idea. But I think I was already sort of on board when they convinced people because they, I think sometimes she operates on the idea of that it's easier to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. But it turned out to be a great idea. And that's a really important message because so much storytelling happens, as you said earlier, as an add-on. It happens as marketing or advertising. Once the thing has been designed, the campaign or the strategy has been designed, then people think, oh, we need to tell a story to promote it rather than bringing the storytelling in from the beginning and thinking about what are we trying to do, what are our goals, and how will we measure success for them. And I also think that the, the idea that you should try to limit the target audience as much as possible, it's much more easier and more interesting to tell a story about 
a very specific group to a very specific group of people and try to get them to change. It will help you sharpen your storytelling skills. It will have you envision who am I actually telling this to? And you might even do sort of cardboard cutouts of people. And here's Steve that I want to tell this to. And you can have that when you design the story, uh, but also it will be easier to measure. And something that we found now already is sort of the, the importance of the local narrative. There's always a local narrative wherever you go in the world. There will be a local story in Vancouver that people in Vancouver will be able to relate to. And there will be something about a local story in Stockholm or it will be a local story in a city in northern, northern Sweden. So we try to ask that whenever we go places. Okay, what's important to encompass in the local story? And if you're in the city of Umeå in northern Sweden, as I told you before, it seemed to be important to, to encompass the woods and the rivers in all your stories. Because if you tell someone that you have to switch to renewable uh, energy, people say, okay, fine, I'll, I'll make a note and never read that note again. But if you say something about if you change to renewable energy from our local energy company, it's actually the power from the river that will be flowing out through your socket. Then you have a story. Then you have something connecting to the local and that, that people can relate to. So that locality, I think, is important. And now in these times of the pandemic, this is a, it's not a global pandemic, I think, but a local pandemic. The only way we understand it is locally. So what's my friends? Are they okay? What's the neighborhood like? Uh, everyone is sitting at home. So what's happening in the neighborhood? Is my local hospital okay? You're probably up to speed with your local hospital in Vancouver, but you don't care about any hospital in, in Toronto because that, that's too far away. So we understand the world locally. We've seen that in storytelling as well, how we can design something to connect with that locality. And that's another critical piece you just raised there, the fact that we actually design stories for specific purposes. They don't just magically happen. No, and, and you can say that that is also the dark side of what I'm doing, because whenever someone tells a story that's really good, but that we don't like to hear, we think that it's the other side that tells it, we call it propaganda. It's basically the same kind of storytelling principles that, that can be applied. So we are aware that this toolkit could be used in order to, to do stories for dark powers in society that don't want to move the needle to a more just and equal and more sustainable world. But I think that's Whereas the, when the, the frontiers of storytelling has always been very much into sort of darker storytelling, demagogues and, and dictators and so on. So we might want to take a look at what they're doing in order to make sure that we tell different stories, we who are, quote unquote, on the good side. And I think that comes back to the fact that we tend to put too much emphasis on facts and too little on stories. But if you don't have facts, if you make something up, if you do a conspiracy theory, all you need is a good story. You definitely don't need any facts. Uh, so that's something we could learn from uh, and that we've been following because it says something about our vulnerability as human beings, if you will, to good stories. We are moved by stories. I think it was Aristoteles who once said that those who tell stories those rules are those who rule the world. So storytelling rules the world. If you want to change the world, you need to master storytelling. Beautiful. And when do you think your toolkit will be ready? We hope to have a first version by the end of the year, but we'll be releasing tools as we go along. I think coming up now is, is that declaration and ideas on, on how that could be used. But we are, 
going to work on this for the next 10 years because it's a long-term project and a strategic one. So we will continue to be evaluating. And one of our ideas and how we designed is that we will be in, in constant beta. So whenever we do publish something, don't take that as sort of a, a stone tablet from, from the north, but rather something that could be perfected and could be improved. I love people saying that you can't be more wrong on this point and then offer me a better solution um, because that's basically how we go forward. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your project and your work with us. And I'm really excited to, to see how it unfolds. And I'm definitely going to be following the toolkit because I know there's so many people that I'm working with here who can benefit from that. So thank you again for making time to do this. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Forward, a podcast about how leaders use stories to shape the future. If you'd like to know more about how story design can help you develop and sell your big idea, get in touch at denisewithers.com.